We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the reading of God's word. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. Please open our eyes and ears to hear uh, by your Holy Spirit what we might uh, know, uh, that we might know you and all that you have accomplished in your Son, Jesus Christ, more deeply through the preaching of your word. Father, help us to see Christ and his gospel, even as we experience the hardships of this sin-stained world and live in his light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as we approach our text tonight, the question that we're going to be looking at is why do we suffer? Is it the result of random chance? Is it some sort of karmic payback? Are we at the mercy of some sort of malevolent deity looking to squash a meaningless creation? Or can suffering be used for the redemptive purposes of a loving God towards his covenant people? You may recall our studies in Job last year. Jesus and his disciples here are are presented with the suffering of a particular man, and these disciples, much like Job's friends, want to place the blame somewhere. So a conversation ensues concerning sin, and a wonderful sign takes place. The, The encounter in tonight's passage gets at the question, who or what is the cause of life's difficult providences? And we are going to see that Jesus Christ is the, sun, is the light of the world and that we can trust him in all of life's hardships. And to do this tonight, we're going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at the problem perceived. Second, a purpose explained. And third, a procedure performed. Again, that's a problem perceived, a purpose explained, and third, a procedure performed. And with that, let's, let's get started by taking a look at a problem perceived in verses 1 and 2. So, as we come to our text this evening, we we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and his disciples, passing by a man who has been blind from birth here in verse 1. Now, this might appear to be a fairly basic statement of fact, uh, right? You know, know, but let's think about this for a second. Blind from birth. This means that there was never a time when this man was able to see. This this also means that, that this blindness was incurable by earthly means. Parents, think of your children. Would, would, would you not exhaust every option out there that you had to find a cure for, for this debilitating disease that your child is, is experiencing? We have to also remember that in those days, uh, a, a parent's child was their insurance policy, their 401k. This child would be the one that would have to take care of these parents in their old age. So it's with this in mind that we can see that, that this man who is blind from birth 
never had sight and had no hope of ever gaining his sight again. The, the options were exhausted. So upon seeing this man, we hear the disciples as they start to think. They, they, they ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now the logic here is sound to a first century Jewish person. There is clearly a, a biblical connection between sin and suffering. For example, death enters the world when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 3. Or one can look at the Ten Commandments to see this. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now listen to this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God has promised this generational retribution or this generational kind of idea of a just payback for the sins of the fathers unto the third and fourth generations. You know, for a New Testament example of this, as Pastor Dale mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we can turn to Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. They, they, they sold a piece of property but held back some of the profits for themselves and they, they shorted the apostles in the church and then they lied about it and we read that they were struck dead for this. They sinned against the Holy Spirit. And after all, our God is a holy and just God, and being such, he cannot just let sin go unpunished. It would be contrary to his character. God would cease to be God if he allowed that. Therefore, his disciples are thinking, surely this man or his parents must have done something that, have, that would have warranted this man's blindness. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we do the same things at times. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, John Calvin, that famous 16th century reformer, says that there are three ways Christians commonly err concerning sin and the misfortunes of others. He says, first, that we are quick to see and condemn others with extreme bitterness. He says, if our brother or sister falls on hard times, we can assume it's God's judgment, but if it happens to us, it's unfortunate circumstance. He exhorts us to, to look at our own sin first. Second, he says, we often view the adversity that someone else experiences with an excessive severity. We, we ought not to turn the small offenses of others into large crimes when we, we justify our, our own sins and we minif, minimize the severity of our own actions. Thirdly, we, we sometimes pronounce condemnation on people who are experiencing hardship. He exhorts us to, that we should not think someone is sinning just because he or she is called to bear a particular cross or, or experience a specific kind of hardship. We, like these curious disciples, must not try to read God's book of providence too carefully. There are things going on in this world that we just can't know as finite human beings. So the question stands, did this guy, did this guy sin in a way that warranted his blindness? Now, if we think about this, it really gets at the heart of our problem uh, of sin as the fallen children of Adam. This man has been blind from birth. That's not a whole lot of time to be corrupted by sin now, is it? You know, some scholars speculate that this was possibly sin from a previous life, kind of like karma, which was an idea that was prevalent in the day. But, but this illustrates for us tonight the imputed guilt that has been placed upon all of us by Adam's first sin the resulting death caused by it, and the depth of our human depravity and, and our total inability to do good unto God. Even from the womb, 
as Adam's posterity. We just can't do it. It's as Augustine said, in Adam's fall, sinned we all. We are fallen human beings in need of a Savior. We all suffer from the consequences of the same affliction, and that affliction is sin. Now, as we continue, we hear these disciples saying, okay, if it wasn't this guy's fault, did his parents sin? That Exodus, that Exodus passage that we just uh, read earlier tells us that God punishes unto the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Clearly, this, this man is afflicted. So if, if he didn't sin, his parents must have, right? The disciples are sure that someone's sin is to blame for all of this. And isn't this where we often go when we're faced with the various trials of our day? We think, what did I do to deserve this? Where did I go wrong? Maybe in our sadness we cry out, you know, is this the result of someone else's actions? Am I just a victim? We have to put the blame somewhere, don't we? And this brings us to our second point this evening. A purpose explained. Verses 3 through 5. So Jesus quickly responds to his disciples with a hearty neither in verse 3. He says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, brothers and sisters, there is another reason for the hardships of this life, the display of the power and works of God. We serve a sovereign God who, who is working all things according to his good purposes. And, and, and now please don't, don't misunderstand here. Jesus is not correcting his disciples for seeing a correlation between sin and suffering. God can and, and does visit people with afflictions when they disobey. For example, you know, we can turn to David and Bathsheba with the death of their infant son for the sin that was committed there, or, or Miriam's leprosy when she challenged uh, Moses there in Numbers. But, but he is showing them that there's another third option. After all, sin will always lead to suffering, either in this life or the next because it can't go unpunished because of who God is. Jesus is also not saying that this man or his family did not sin. They are, they are the sons and daughters of Adam as well. He is merely stating that this man's blindness is not the result of anyone's particular sin, but exists that the works of God might be displayed in him. This blindness is one of gospel significance because it reveals who Jesus is. As we continue in verse 4, it says, we, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. This, this commission is the reason Jesus and his disciples are, are there. Now, now, if you think back, you can remember the question John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus and, and how he answered them. If we look at Luke 7, it, there it says, John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look, to, look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is the one who has come to save sinners. Jesus is our mighty Savior. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that those who believe in him would receive adoption as son. Jesus has a job to do while he is here in the flesh, and he is doing it in our passage tonight. This is great news. 
But his earthly ministry was only for a time. As the second part of our verse points out, night is coming when no one can work. Jesus, the the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, he knew his earthly work would end with his death on the cross. He, He knew that he would be crucified, that he would die, that he would be buried. He knew that he would be raised from the dead, that he would ascend to heaven to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is making intercession for you and I even this day. He knew that his disciples would also struggle with his absence, which is why he speaks of sending the Holy Spirit in chapters 14 through 16 of this gospel. It is now that Jesus reiterates his I am statement from chapter 8 here in verse 5. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, brothers and sisters, we have to remember the importance of these I am statements. Think back with me to Exodus 3, Moses in the burning bush. God gives Moses his name in order to convince the Jewish people to leave Egypt for the promised land. In verses 13 and 14, he says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So boys and girls, what did God give as his covenant name to the people of Israel? I am. And and what is Jesus saying in our passage tonight? He's saying, I am the light of the world. Do you think Jesus is showing the disciples that he is God? He is. Jesus is God, uh, and here Jesus is repeating what, what John said in chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We also see this in the beginning of John's gospel. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is not just a miracle, but, but Jesus is providing a sign that shows that he is the Messiah. Jesus is using a blind man to point out the continued spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, these religious leaders who can't actually see anything as seen later in this very chapter. And Jesus is still the light of the world today. It's just that he's working through the Holy Spirit due to him being at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. God willing, we can discuss that at another time. Now, what does this mean for us? Maybe you are going through a difficult time right now, or maybe you're walking along somebody else who is. This purpose that Jesus is explaining here to his disciples in our passage tonight is every bit as true for us today as it was for those disciples back then. We ought not to read God's book of providence or speculate why something is happening or, or will happen carelessly. Sure, we need to exercise wisdom and discernment, uh, but, but, but we, we must know who we are and we must know who God is. The Mona Lisa doesn't turn to da Vinci and tell him why he did what he did. The creator, God in the case of our lives, is, 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 is free to do as he wills. So, so we mustn't tear somebody's life apart, either our own or somebody else's, in flippant judgment because we can't connect the dots. God is in the process of writing his beautiful story of redemption, and, and he may be doing something beautiful in the difficult circumstances of those closest to us. 
Uh, this week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I came across the testimony of a woman who, due to a misdiagnosis, was devastated by polio in an age when, when polio was supposed to be eradicated. This left her childhood spent in hospitals with many painful surgeries. Later on in life, as she married and, and had children, she lost, lost her infant son to a heart condition because uh, there was a substitute doctor that took her son off of a life-saving medication because he was unfamiliar with the situation. The question she wrestled with throughout her life, just like these disciples, was, why, Lord? This question haunted her. She said that if, if, if she just had an explanation, if she could just wrap her mind around it, she, she could understand God's purposes. Uh, but, but we're never guaranteed that. She had to trust God and submit to his sovereignty. It was only in surrendering to his plan that a reason was provided. She didn't have to figure it out. And, and, and it didn't have to make sense because God is who he says he is, and he is working out his plan she finishes her testimony. One day, our faith will be a sight, and we will see all of God's glorious purposes in our trials. But for now, as we wait, we must trust him. There is always a why to our pain. We may never understand it in this life, but this we can know. As we surrender our questions to him, God will answer us with nothing less than himself. You know, this, this, is, this is the lens through which we need to answer that phone call we never wanted to receive at 3.30 in the morning. This is the lens through which we, we, we look at that diagnosis. And, and this is the lens through which we, we, we handle the death of that loved one. As Christians, we take them to the cross. We take them to Christ, trusting that they are for his purposes, that they are not in vain, and that they are displaying the works of God. So just uh, by way of recap, where we've been so far this evening, we, we have this problem of a man who was born blind from birth, the question of whose sin caused this condition, and Jesus' response to this blindness, that, that, that it was not the result of anybody's particular sin, but it was done so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Brothers and sisters, what if we began to view the hardships in our own lives through this gospel lens? You know, what, what, what kind of glory would we bring God if the crosses we bear and the tribulations that we face pointed to his goodness, to his mercy, to his grace? This brings us to our final point this evening, a procedure performed, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 reads, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud can you, can you imagine what it must have been like to be this man? You know, I, I bet he never saw this coming. I, Jesus literally spits on the ground, makes some mud, and then rubs it on this guy's eyes. You know, think of the faith that this man must have exhibited. You know, it, 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 it's mind-boggling. Even more so as we read in verse 7, he tells him to go wash off in the pool of Siloam. You know, this blind man had just had his eyes anointed with spit mud, and now Jesus tells him to go and wash in this pool. You know, try to place yourself in this man's shoes for a moment. You know, what, what, must, that walk, what must that walk have been like? You know, what must have been going through his mind? You know, how far away was the pool from where they were at? You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't walk through the, through the living room at, at night without slamming into some piece of furniture or stepping on some kid's toy, let alone navigate the streets of Jerusalem. 
This guy receives the mud, he hears the command, and, and pay attention now, he actually does it. He listens. He obeys. Friend, do you have this kind of faith tonight? Pray to God for this kind of faith because only he can grant it. I think that there is an awful lot that we can learn from the brother in this passage tonight. I say brother because, you know, spoiler alert, he believes and worships Christ later in this chapter. He receives a remedy that is foolish by the world's standards, something that could possibly even further damage his already useless eyes. And he, and he makes the trek to the pool of Siloam because he knows his condition and he knows his desperation. Jesus is offering this man so much more than just sight. He's offering him hope. He's offering his parents hope. And what is the result? Well, as we see at the end of verse 7, it tells us, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus did what he said he was going to do because Jesus is who he said he was. As our author tonight, John, tells us at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus can spit in the dirt and, and make mud to rub in this man's eyes because he is God and all of creation is his. Everything was made through him. He is the great I am, and he is the life, and that life is the light of men. This is the power of our great Savior. This is who we're worshiping tonight. You know, surely there was no power in the mud or the water of that particular pool. It was all of Christ. God made us from the dust all the way back in Genesis 1, and Jesus is simply using the dust of the earth in our passage tonight to restore this man's sight. This is an object lesson. Our God uses means, and only he can save the blind. Brothers and sisters, this begs the question, what hardships are you facing today? Are you showing those around you the mighty works of God in your life as he brings you through these hardships? Are you even bringing them to, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Now remember, Christ doesn't, it, uh, Christ doesn't provide an, uh, uh, an escape for us from hardship. We're never promised that, but he provides a meaning for them, brothers and sisters. You see, you see, we're not created in vain, and our suffering is not in vain. It is for his purposes. Only he can bring the healing and salvation that you are seeking. Only he can provide the cure for your sin and adversity. Only he can give you this gospel perspective. Now, friend, maybe you're sitting here this evening and, and you're, you're thinking about asking this, this mighty Savior for help, uh, this one that can bring sight even to the blind. My question to you is, what's holding you back? What could possibly be more urgent than your eternal salvation? You know, Christ is sufficient for you, and, and, and he will save for eternity those who confess him. Now, if you'd like to talk to someone after this service, ask a few questions, please feel free to come down to myself or one of the elders or any other member at Harvest Church. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But brothers and sisters, know this Savior, God incarnate, the one who can restore the sight to the blind because he is master over all of creation and know his peace, a peace that overcomes any of the ravages this world can throw at us, be it blindness, a pandemic, or even death itself. 
Because this peace exists completely outside of ourselves and is holy in this Jesus, the one who conquered death on the cross to pay for our sins. Turn to Jesus and know his peace. May God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we adore you as our mighty creator and maker of all things. We, we praise you for loving us and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from, from our suffering caused by sin. Thank you that you care for us even when we sin against you. Forgive us for sinning against you and your law. Forgive us for our haughtiness and thinking that we can understand the things of you when such knowledge is too wonderful for us, too high for us to attain. Forgive us for counseling ourselves and others who bear your image in a way contrary to your word and your purposes. Forgive us for not turning to you when we should. Thank you that, that, that you are a God who heals, but thank you most of all for being a God who saves us by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior are adopted as your sons and daughters, that, that, that we can look forward to an eternity with you apart from sin and suffering altogether. Please help us to view our sufferings and the sufferings of those around us through these gospel lenses. Help us to point others to Christ through these afflictions. Father, help us to surrender and submit to you even when the circumstances of life seem too hard or insurmountable. Please save us from ourselves. Help us to obey. Help us to obey you and suffer as those living in the reality of being saved by Christ. May we, like our brother in this story, point others to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise as we come together to finish out tonight by singing, All I Have is Christ.
harvest. As uh, you go into the week, receive the Lord's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.